Thank you for listening to A Message of Grace. This podcast was recorded live at Grace Lutheran Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba on July 1st, 2018. Today, Pastor Bruce Galehorn asks us, How would your life be changed if you were to know when you would meet a friend or family member for the last time? Let's listen. David was Israel's king from 1000 to 961 BC. He always seems to be bumping into humiliating, humbling, humanizing events in his life. Public struggles, personal loss where he publicly grieves, family issues that become a national crisis. Today, you will hear a poem that David has written. Saul, King Saul, and David's best friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, have fallen in battle. David is an emotional mess, realizing those things that there were, those relationships that maybe he has taken for granted are now gone. And there will be the fewer kinds of conversations that he shared with his beloved friend Jonathan. In his loss, in grief, he laments. And this is our reading for today. Let us listen. A reading from Second Samuel. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Goth, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in death, in life, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons have perished. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. 
It is the first century A.D. The Christian church in Jerusalem is hurting. They are suffering. The church in Macedonia, which is somewhat well-off, sends them some financial resources to help them during their time of need. Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth, also a very wealthy Christian community, and he praises the generosity of the Church of Macedonia, and he uses their giving as an example to encourage and challenge the Christians at the church in Corinth. He says to them gently, as you excel in everything, faith, utterance, knowledge, in all earnestness, so we want you to uh, excel in this generous undertaking also. Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth, you're running the race well. You're living the Christian life. But what about your giving? He does not want to make this into a command or a law. However, with God as the Lord of one's life, if God is our priority, our giving will follow. Let us listen. A reading from 2 Corinthians. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you, who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, The one who has much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the Church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to the fifth chapter of St. Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, And he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he begged Jesus repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. 
Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was about 12 years of age. And as they were overcome with amazement, he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This past week, on Wednesday, in our church, we had a memorial service for Joyce Schenkel. Those of you who know the Schenkel family will know that their son, Dean, is married to Christy, who used to be Christy Mathis, but of course now she's Christy Schenkel. Christy's dad, Bob, 
and I played racquetball for some 25 years. When I first came to Grace, when I was called here, in Yellowgrass there were no courts, so I never played racquetball, but my racket court that I played in my university years and seminary years was squash. Played in a room with a racket and a ball, similar but different, but here there were many racquetball players, so started playing racquetball. Over the years, other members of the group would come and go, but at the very end, it was Bob and myself. His son David, who had brought Sid to be at the funeral when we were downstairs having coffee hour, asked me about racquetball because David came a few times to play with us too and asked me if I still played and it sent me on a little bit of a trip down, not memory lane so much, but thinking that the reason Bob and I stopped playing is my arm started acting up. I don't think it was quite tennis elbow, but my arm was hurting and it got to the point where even to shake hands on Sunday morning, oh, I was in pain. But I'd suck back some Tylenol, put a band on my arm, and I'd still play. But it got to the point where every hit of that racquetball sent a sharp shooting pain up my arm. And so we had to take some time off. And uh, one of the things when we'd play racquetball, we'd always go out for coffee and uh, a donut or some other treat afterwards. And we would have conversations about church, about faith, about life. Anyhow, my, I quit playing because of my arm, and I took some treatments, some therapy, and my arm was coming along nicely, getting better. And then when it got to the point where I thought, okay, I think I can get back on that court, Bob was not feeling well. And it was just a short time later he was diagnosed with cancer and it was not good. And of course, Bob passed away. You know, that last time we were together playing racquetball and having coffee, I never dreamed, thought, or even knew that would be our last racquetball coffee conversation at the Timmy's on Henderson. I never knew that. Hold that thought. In 1800 BC, God sent a call to Abraham to leave his father's land and his home and his family and to go to a land, a land that God would show him. And of course, time passed, and Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. And Isaac marries Rebecca, and she has twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob steals the birthright from his older brother. And Jacob flees because he has to flee his brother's wrath and goes to his mom's brother Laban and falls in love with Rachel, works seven years, and Laban tricks him into marrying his older daughter, Leah, and has to work another seven years for Rachel. And he has ten sons by Leah and two sons by Rachel. 
which of course gives us the 12 tribes of Israel and Judah. And of course, one of Rachel's sons' names is Joseph. And Joseph has these dreams. And because his dad loved Rachel more than Leah, Joseph is the favorite, even gets a favored coat. And the brothers sell him into slavery. A famine arises and they find their way down to Egypt, which is where they reside for some 400 years. But a pharaoh comes along who could care less about Joseph and what Joseph had done and puts the Israelites into slavery, making bricks. And the people cry out to God. And God calls Moses. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness for the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. And as they entered the promised land, Moses is not permitted to enter, but they have a new leader named Joshua. And then we have about 200 years of a period called the Judges, where leaders, and they weren't in chronological order or succession, they would just kind of pop up military leaders, not judges who sit in a court of law, but military leaders leading the people forth in battle. The most famous judge being Samson. And Samuel being the last judge. Called to anoint a king because the people wanted to be like everyone else. All the nations they were in contact with had a king. Samuel warns them, you get a king, they're going to want taxes. They're going to want your young men to go fight battles. They're going to want oil from your vineyards and harvest from your land. But they want a king, and so they have King Saul. And Saul reigns for 20 years, from 1020 B.C. to about 1000 B.C. We have three kings that we're going to be looking at over the next week. We have Saul, David, who we hear from today, and then we'll hear from Solomon. And this is a future bit down the road coming to us in the fall. Solomon's son Rehoboam, the people in the north, the ten tribes of Israel, did not like him. So the kingdom splits into two kingdoms, the north and the south, around 930 B.C. But here we have David. Today we hear about the death of Saul and David, how he writes a poem lamenting the loss of his friend and confidant and conversationalist, Jonathan. We're going to hear from David for the next six weeks. Takes us up to the 19th of August. And the 19th of August, you're going to hear about David's death and the anointing of Solomon. Saul reigned from 1020 to 1000 BC. 
After the slaying of Goliath, David became very popular. He and King Saul's son, Jonathan, became very good friends, and Saul was jealous. Several times over the 20 years, Saul tried to kill David. He even tried to have it orchestrated that David would die by sending him off on dangerous military missions that were almost impossible to win. And David would win. And the people would rejoice. And he gained more and more popularity. David's wife, Michal, was actually Saul, King Saul's daughter. And one time, Saul sent his henchmen to their home and said, wait till the morning and go in and kill David. Well, Michal becomes aware of this, and she lets him out the back of the house from the second-story window with a rope. And she puts a statue in the bed, and she puts some uh, goat's hair When they come in in the morning, she tells him, he's sick. Look, he's laying in the bed. They go home back and they tell King Saul, and Saul says, bring him here in his sick bed so I can kill him. Well, when they go back, they find out it's all been a... The wool has been pulled over their eyes. He's not in the bed at all. Saul is not too happy with his daughter, and she says, he told me he'd kill me if I didn't do this. Saul is driven to the point of madness. He becomes mad. He has David, or threats and tries to kill David several times. David has 600 men following him. He has to leave. There's times of quiet where he's able to be there, times where he has to leave. He works for a rich man named Nabal, and he even finds himself working with the Philistines for a while. He also had a chance to kill Saul. David had a chance to kill Saul, but he didn't. Why? Even though Samuel had anointed him earlier as God's king, prior to his kingship, David said, I cannot kill God's anointed. He would not kill God's anointed. He has returned from battle. He has defeated the Amalekites. And Saul and Jonathan are off battling the Philistines. The battle went badly. Many of the Israelites were killed and many fled. Jonathan, David's beloved friend, the son of King Saul, was killed in battle. Saul was injured, wounded, exhausted, convulsing, and did not want to be taken by the enemy. Wanted to kill himself, and he could not bring himself to kill himself. So he has one of the people with them draw a sword and kill him. David loses both a mentor and a friend. 
In his song that we heard today, he commemorates the good things. It's interesting how our lectionary does things. We begin today with 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, and then it jumps to verse 17. If you read the whole thing, the piece they missed over, probably get too long and people will get bored and their minds would wander or something. I don't know. But whatever. After hearing of their deaths, David weeps and he rips his clothes off. And he says to the messenger who has come to tell them, Were you not afraid to lift your sword and hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? Because David himself has not been able to lift his hand to destroy Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him because Saul was the Lord's anointed. And he orders the messenger to be killed. Battle and war gets rather messy. David has lost his best friend, Jonathan. Some of the things, two things for me, come out to our text today. The first thing is, it's Canada Day. And, uh, yeah, there have been wars and confrontations and battles that our country has fought in. World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Afghanistan, Afghanistan War where people have lost their lives. And so we too, on a certain level, know the lament of war and the messiness of war. War is brutal. You know what, what war Canada lost most people in? Nobody wants to make a guess. You're worried. Actually, it was World War I. 68,000. World War II, 47,000. The Korean War, 516. And the Afghanistan War, 158. Probably the one that resonates most in our minds is Afghanistan. Because it seemed every day we opened the paper, there was yet another body bag being brought home. War is brutal and we lose loved ones. And today is Canada Day. And so, being the Canadians we are, we pray for peace. And we long to be peacemakers. And so we pray for peace. The second thing that comes to me today from this text is and this ties in with what I told you. Remember, remember Bob Mathis and us playing racquetball and not even realizing that would be the last time we would play is to take note of your friends before it's too late. Take note of your friends before it's too late. Amen. Thank you for listening to A Message of Grace. If you would like more information on our congregation and how we can be of service to you, 
please visit our website at www.gracelutheran.ca or check us out on Facebook. Peace be with you.